Lift up your hearts. Let us pray. O God, who has prepared for those who love thee such good things as past man's understanding, pour into our hearts such love toward thee, that we, loving thee above all things, may obtain thy promises, which exceed all that we can desire through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's stand and sing Psalm 150. I'll sing the first stanza uh, alone, so you can get to hear the tune, and then we'll come back. I'll sing the first line, and then you'll repeat it after me. Uh, it's just a note here, the, the first, the reciting pitch will cover the entire praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary will be the first measure of, uh, of melody. That's the only funky part here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty firmament, praise Him for His mighty acts, praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Repeat after me. Praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise the Lord, praise God in His sanctuary, praise Him in His mighty firmament, Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. All together. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with timbrel and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with flashing cymbals. Let all that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and shall be forever. Amen. May be seated. Blessed Lord, you've caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This is the sixth Sunday after Trinity. And our epistle reading comes from Romans 6, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11, Romans 6, verses 3 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, 
having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Let's sing a response to God's word. Hymn number 53 in your red hymnals. Praise to the Lord the Almighty. Number 53 in your red hymnals. <laughs> yes, now we're Let me 
seated. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew. Matthew 5, verses 20 through 26. Matthew chapter 5, verses 20 through 26. Hear the word of the Lord. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. You have heard it said, to your ancestors do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift to the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on your way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, You will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us stand and confess what we've been taught to believe by Holy Scripture in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into Sheol. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our sermon will be coming from uh, Mr. Caden Coley. He's been our intern at Christ the King and Unity Union Church uh, for the last six weeks. So I'm um, giving him authorization to preach to us today. And he'll be in Jude, uh, the only chapter of Jude, verse 5. We look forward to him bringing the word. Thank you, Caden. Just that a little bit there. All right, so today, like Matt said, we're going to be in Jude. And this little book that we have right here at the back of our Bibles, after John's letter and right before the revelation to John, is often overlooked, but it actually contains a lot of really key ideas and doctrines. Uh, in this epistle, Jude is writing to an audience of Christians, most of whom are either Jewish or familiar with Jewish traditions. And as a result, Jude is uh, including some references and connections to the Old Testament here uh, that are going to offer us a framework into redemptive history to see how God has been working through the ages. Uh, in, In this epistle, Jude is going to try to convey to us the character and the power of Jesus, the Messiah, and then also the serious error of those who do not believe. You see, while Jude was initially intending here in this letter to write to his 
Christian brothers and sisters concerning their common salvation. And we'll read that when we read the text. The pressing issue of these ungodly people that have snuck in the church takes up his attention. And so he spends his time addressing that. As a result, Jude spends the bulk of the letter describing these ungodly people to Christians so that they might know how to identify them and also how not to be them. So this is the context of the passage that we're reading this morning, and I wanted to give it to you before I read it, because we're only taking a small chunk, but the sermon is going to cover pretty much the whole of the content of the epistle. So, the word of the Lord. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to all those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Behold, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt necessary to write to you exhorting that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, though you know all things, that Jesus... Having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who do not believe. This is the word of the Lord. So have you ever sat down to a meal and complained? Have you ever been given something to eat and thought, nah, this is not for me, uh, I, don't, I don't want this, either internally or externally? Um, although I'm from the South, so the internal part is a little bit more likely than the external part. Complaining about mom's cooking is a good way to get consequence. (laughs) So this is an interesting paradigm. This is something we often see as an innocuous or simple part of life. You know, we don't like this food or we sit down. But it's actually important. It it betrays a kind of sin that is really important to this context in Jude, which is sin of grumbling. So this seemingly innocent and frequent occurrence shows us this passage in a new light. Jude is telling us about ungodly grumblers uh, in these churches who are coming uh, to, down to the, this wonderful home cooking of salvation. They've been brought out of the Egypt of sin by Jesus, and yet they deny the grace of their God and turn it into sensuality. So they've been given this wonderful meal, and then they've said, no, I want to eat garbage instead. I want to eat sewage. That's essentially what they're saying when they're saying, you know, we, they've been saved out of the Egypt of sin. They've been called God's people, and they're going back and doing this. So this is not good, obviously, right? So when God invites us to a feast, we're not supposed to want junk instead. So I'll explain this a little bit more as we go through the passage, and hopefully you'll see this. But I want you to keep that in mind as you look at this passage, this this idea of grumbling uh, and Egypt and sin and all this stuff. So if you've got that, let's dive into the text. I want to explore Jesus' redemption of Israel. I want to explain why grumbling is bad a little bit more. And I want to talk about what happens to those who sin in this way and what it means for us today. So first, let's take a look at the idea of Jesus redeeming a people out of Egypt. This teaching is something that Jude's audience is extremely aware of and that it's in their kind of context. Remember, Jude tells them that he's aiming to remind them that they know all things, that Jesus... Uh, brought a people out of Egypt, right? Uh, this might be a little bit weird for us, though, because this is not something in the church today that we often keep in context. This idea that Jesus was present 
in Egypt. If you know your Bibles, you know that Jesus was born long after the Exodus. Um, so you're like, well, Jesus redeemed the people out of Egypt. That seems uncanny, right? But Jude's audience knows that Jesus is fully present in their Old Testament. They know that they can see him in every page. And they know that he was the one who sustained Israel in the wilderness. Um, Jesus taught his disciples to see him in the Old Testament. John 5.39 says, You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So as a result, Jude's audience knew that it was Jesus who brought Israel to the land of Egypt. So perhaps they had heard Paul's teaching on the subject, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So we can see that Jesus was the rock that followed Israel in the wilderness, which indicates that he was fully involved and present in this period of Israel's history. We also know that the Israelites put Christ to the test by their grumbling and complaining in the wilderness. First Corinthians 10 continues on. Nor let us put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. But Jude is not only trying to show us that Jesus was present, that Jesus Christ was present with Israel in the wilderness. Although that is important. Remember, Jude is writing to Christians. And he's writing to an audience of Christians who are in, in experiencing this particular problem. So what does this mean in his context? Jude's audience is not Israelites who have been rescued out of the literal Egypt uh, uh, in the slavery there. Rather, Jude is writing to a, a kind of people that have been rescued out of Egypt in a different sense. For the Christian has been saved out of the Egypt of sin. We know that, like Israel, we have been rescued by the Lord uh, from, a little, uh, from a life of bondage in a dark kingdom. Colossians 1.13 says, He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Before the Israelites could leave Egypt, they were spared from death because of the blood of a lamb shed on their behalf. Listen to this passage from Exodus. Then Moses called all the elders and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your plans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of that door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. When he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Exodus 12, 21 through 23. The parallel to this for the Christian is that as Christians, we have been spared the wrath of God. It has passed over us because of the blood of another lamb, Jesus Christ, who is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. Peter teaches us that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold or from our futile conduct inherited by our forefathers, but rather with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, 1 Peter 1, 18-19. So just as Israel was delivered from death to life through the water of the Red Sea, God has brought us from death to life in a similar manner, manner through the waters of baptism. 
For, as Paul says, we have been buried with him in baptism, in which we were also raised up with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. Colossians 2.12 Or consider further what Paul says in Romans, which we read this morning. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certain we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. All of these wonderful realities pair closely to the pattern of redemption that is shown in the exodus from Egypt. As a result, we can see that Jesus has redeemed believers out of the Egypt of sin and brought them into the promised land of fellowship and reconciliation with God. So with this in mind, we get to what Jude says next in Jude 5. Having once saved the people out of the land of Egypt, Jesus subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So we already noted that Jesus was displeased with many of the Israelites who rebelled in the wilderness. We already noted this from Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians 10. But why the punishment? Well, the Israelites were grumbling. They complained about the manna they got. They complained about the meat they got. They complained about the water they got. And they generally didn't appreciate what God had done for them. To illustrate this, I'll just choose this passage from Exodus 17. But the people thirsted for the water... And they, get, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, we don't typically think of grumbling or complaining like a capital offense. But God does. And, and the reason why is because Israel's sin isn't just in the complaining. It's something deeper than that. In pining for these old days of slavery, which is what they're doing, they're saying, We want to go back to Egypt. The, the Israelites are saying that they want to be Egyptians. They don't want to be God's people. They want to go back and they want to live the way they did. And they want to be in bondage. They're saying that what God has for them is not good. And they're denying the grace of God. The unfortunate irony is that these Israelites who want to be Egyptians got what they wanted. Right? These same people who are complaining about having left Egypt... Watch Egyptians follow them into the Red Sea and die in a very painful manner with the ocean crashing on top of them. So they know what Egyptians get. They know what, what comes of unbelief. They know what comes of fighting against God. They know what comes of not trusting in Him. So they receive the same fate in the wilderness. They're struck down by snakes or they died from plagues or... You name it, a lot of Israelites died. They were swallowed up in the ground in the rebellion of Korah, right? So there's all of these things that they're looking at and, and wanting to be back in Egypt. And God says, okay, you guys want to be Egyptians, you'll get what Egyptians get, right? These people, in unbelief, wanted what Egyptians had, and they got the judgment that Egyptians received. So Jesus, having redeemed these people out of slavery in Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Now, Jude's context. Jude is talking to an audience of people, and he's talking about these people that have snuck into the church, that have perverted the grace of God and sought their own gain. 
And he's saying the same thing. He's, he says that they're grumblers even. Uh, Jude 1.16 says, These are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts, and their mouths speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit. These people are making the same mistake at bottom as the Egyptians, or the Israelites who are wanting to be Egyptians. These men and women in these churches to whom Jude is writing were looking too fondly at their sin, and they were wanting to go back into Egypt. We know that Jesus teaches us that sin is slavery. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. John 8, 34. So those who want to go back into the Egypt of sin, and they want to complain about where they are, are saying in effect that what God has done for them through Jesus Christ was not good. This is a dire claim to make. So Jude warns us here that these people who grumble, who persist in unbelief, and reach back longingly at Egypt, will be destroyed. They will get what they want, and that's not good. Jesus, having redeemed people out of the Egypt of sin, subsequently will destroy those who do not believe. So what is the lesson for us? Well, don't be an Egyptian. Hypocrites who involve themselves in the church for personal gain or for their own desires, who have exterior motives other than the love of God, are in for a rude awakening. There isn't room for vain ambition or politicking or lusting after power in the midst of God's people. That's Egyptian thinking. There's no room for fault-finding. There's no room for gossip. There's no room for flattery in the midst of God's people. Those who indulge these evils are looking back at Egypt and saying, we want to be Egyptians. We don't want to act like God's people. We want to have what we had before. And that's not good. These actions tell these people or they tell these people and they tell us where the citizenship of these, these evil fault finders really lies. At the end of the day, they'll be separated from true believers. So if you listen to the teaching of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 13, it says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came and bore grain, then the tares appeared also. And the master said, Allow both to grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them into bundles and then burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. It's Matthew 13, 24-26 and verse 30. And Jude, and John says concerning these men and women, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, and it might be plain they were not from us. So Jesus, having saved the people out of the Egypt of sin, will destroy these people who do not believe. So those who are on this unfortunate trajectory need to turn in faith to Jesus Christ and to stop reaching back to Egypt and start looking to him. Who stands, and Jesus is ready and willing to forgive even his own enemies, even people who rebel against him and who say that what he has for them isn't good, if they should repent and believe the gospel. Jude tells us the portion that ungodly men have. And he describes it well. But mark also that Jesus came to save sinners. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 6. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Romans 4, 5. 
So don't be captivated with the Egyptian ways, the ways of striving after worldly gain and lustful passions, but rather turn in repentance and faith to Jesus that you might be really rescued from the Egypt of sin internally instead of just making a show as though you were externally. Wash the inside of the cup. If you have not trusted in the Lord to redeem you and to pull you out of the Egypt of sin, do so now. It's not too late. The author of Hebrews, quoting Psalm 95, says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as when they provoked me. Hebrews 3.15 The day is now. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the wilderness. For behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6.2 I entreat as many as are here under the hearing of my voice that have not received Christ for their salvation to do so with gladness. Because there may not be a tomorrow. Now, I know that there are many Christians who truly believe and are consequently not slated for the demolition who will nevertheless still glance back at the sin longingly from time to time. Genuine believers still cherish pet sins. On this side of eternity, we don't get to be perfect. And whether that's coveting your neighbor's stuff, whether that's lustful thoughts, or whether that's unrighteous anger, this is going to be all of us to a certain extent, and I know it's me. But the answer for you, if that's you as well, is to look back at these Egyptians in the Israelite camp and take warning. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, concerning those who were destroyed in the wilderness... Now these things have happened to them for an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have arrived. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. This means the next time your neighbor's car starts to look better than your car, or the next time your neighbor's spouse starts to look better than your spouse, or the next time that an angry meltdown seems like a good idea, you should think about these grumbling Israelites that God struck down in the wilderness with an attitude of humility, and you should give thanks to God. Remember, you've been freed from sin by Jesus if you've believed in him. So don't submit again to the yoke. Galatians 5.1, it's for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The battle with besetting sin looms large before you. Don't despair. If you trust in Jesus, you'll find victory. He will bear you up. For if you trust in Christ, you've been called not in impurity, but in sanctification. And that's 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. God is faithful to work in those whom he has called. We know that those whom he has called, he has justified. And those whom he justified, will, he will glorify. Romans 8, 28. The work of sanctification inside of you, the process of you being made more and more into Christ's image, that is not only your work, but God's as well. For it is God who works in you, but to will and to work his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13 When God called you, he knew the grain of the wood that he was working with. And he knows your troubles, and he knows the difficulties. He knows what you look back at and what you still want sometimes. And he knows how to purify you, and he knows how to heal you. Poor and miserable though you might be. So this leads to our parting thought. It's not enough just to not be an Egyptian. We also have to be Israelites. We have to take on the attributes and the qualities that are supplied, that are, that are supposed to characterize God's chosen people. Jude gives us a list of these. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And on some who are doubting, have mercy, and for others save, snatching them out of the fire. And on others have mercy, fear, hating even the tunic polluted by the flesh. As an Israelite, a member of the household of God, be bold in approaching the throne of grace with confidence, praying without ceasing. Be the kind of person who loves the fact that you have been loved by God. Be the kind of person who lets God's love for you in Jesus Christ embolden and keep you in difficult times. Take the love with which, which you've been given freely by the Lord Jesus and then take it and give, show it to others. Be patient, kind, and Christian with whom you have disagreements. Show humility in receiving difficult family members. And be emboldened to go and share the gospel in the lost and dying world. That many indeed would be snatched from the flames. Hate sin everywhere you see it, especially in yourself, despising even the trappings of evil, but love sinners enough to seek restoration for them and to rescue them from the fire. Part of what God has redeemed you for is that you might be a witness and a light to those in dark places. So I'll leave us with what Jude concludes his epistle with, that to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now offer ourselves to the Lord in tithes and offerings. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted, head above all. All things come from you, O Lord. Those will come around and we'll sing the glory of Pantry. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Continue to offer ourselves in prayer. Our God is a God who hears and answers prayer. Let us bring our petitions and thanksgiving to him in Christ's name. For the peace of the world, for the welfare of the Holy Church of God, for the unity of all people, especially the church in Maine. Lord, in your mercy, for our president, our governor, for the leaders of the state of Maine, the nation, and for all in authority, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the good earth which God has given us, for the wisdom and will to conserve it, for food and shelter, 
Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy, for the aged and the infirm, for the widowed and orphans, for the sick and the suffering, for those who are lonely, for those in bondage to addiction, for all who are confused and lost, let us pray to the Lord. for the unemployed and the destitute, for prisoners and captives, especially for persecuted Christians living in fear or threat of danger, for all who remember and care for them. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, in your mercy. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us stand and sing number one, hymn number one, All people that on earth do dwell. Hymn number one. Oh, 
Let us go forth in the name of Christ. Therefore, go into the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and lift His countenance up to you and give you His peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and